For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I'll ask John to come up and I'll pray for him. Father God, thank you for gifting us with your wonderful word. Um, I thank you for everything that you revealed through Paul um, back when he wrote this letter to the Ephesians in Ephesus. Um, I just thank you for everything you've also revealed about this passage to John over the years. Um, Yeah, I just pray that we will hear him speaking through you tonight um, and then you will turn everyone's minds to what you have to say and really focus us in on what John has gleaned from this passage and is able to help us learn from this passage tonight. Um, yeah, I just thank you for John and um, what he's here to share with us tonight. I pray all these things in your mighty name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Oh, I've got this. Evening, everybody. Am I switched on? Can you hear me? You can. Well, this is the fourth in this little series where we're laying foundations to try and seek through what is the basic framework of our faith, leaving behind all of the stuff that's been encrusted on it uh, over the years and getting right to the roots of what we believe. What I find fascinating about this chapter from Ephesians is that if I had been writing it, having spelled out, uh, I'll, I'll put this on for a bit, Chapter and two, having spelled out all the spiritual blessings that uh, the disciples have got, everybody in the church had these. These belong to us now. They don't, we don't own them, but they belong to us. If I were writing it, I would be in the second part of the chapter, going into a hoopla football coach type mould and saying, "Come on, we can do it. Look back. Come on, we can do it." Uh, Paul doesn't do that. What Paul does is pray. Paul prays. He says, now, that's all the truth. The stuff I've told you about is the truth. Now I need to say to you, I've been talking to the Lord about you and I've been asking him for some very specific things. I want you to understand who he is. I want you to know the voice of his spirit in your heart that you might allow him to be truly the disciples' ruler and king. And so he says to us, 
uh, through, the, through the message to the Ephesians, he says, well, uh, there are some things I need to pray about. The major foundation is knowing God. The major foundation is not knowing about God. The major foundation is knowing God. And by knowing God, the implication, of course, is intimacy. The implication is that, that you know him. You know what he's doing. You know why he's doing it. You know how he goes about things. You know what his suggestions are. You know what he tells you about your life. You know what he has to say to you about the future that you have. He will line up the spiritual authorities that have been given to you and he will now tell you, as the one who is Lord of the universe, where you stand, what you are on about and what you need to do. Well, through our knowing God, Paul prays that the Father will reveal to his church these particular things. A bit easier to read it from down here. The hope of God's call. Now, let's understand, we're not here talking about intellectual theses. We're not here talking about a, a, a demonstration of you need to know the hope because you've got this, you've got that, and therefore this hope belongs to that. It's talking about a person. The hope that you have is in the man Jesus Christ. The hope that you have is in the man Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and releasing to you all of the spiritual blessings that you've already heard about. First of all, I want to talk to you about the hope of God's call. Secondly, I want to talk to you about the glory of God's inheritance. Now, there's a bit of a double twist in that. Whose inheritance? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Fascinating stuff. The greatness of God's power. Now, you think when you watch uh, such things as uh, that, that cyclone in, in America, you think that's power. You ain't seen nothing. We're talking about the God who says, let there be light. Throw the stars into space. Let me stand there and hold it all together. Let me demonstrate my power. And oh, by the way, you people who believe in me, that's the power I'm going to use in you. He says, I, I, I told uh, Jesus to be raised from the dead. That power is in the church. I, uh, I trained up Elijah over a period of time and said to Elijah, integrity check, go and raise that child from the dead. What? Yes. Is, this is who we're talking about now. We're not talking about some slovenly stuff out in our world. We're talking about the master of the universe. So the greatness of God's power. Well, let's think this through. The hope of God's call. First of all, we need to note that this is a divine call. It carries with it the imprimatur of the king of the universe. His call on your life comes from the very heart of the God who created the universe. And when you stand face to face with him, when you see him looking into your eyes, you're talking to the God who said, let it be. Created ex nihilo, out of nothing. And he looks into your eyes and he says, let it be, ex nihilo. You listen to me. You do what I give you the opportunity to do and let me work in you the wonderful things of the kingdom. It's a divine call. It's not written down on a sheet of paper. 
and, and posted to you. It's God himself speaking into your life. The hope, of course, is to be like him. One day we will see him face to face and he'll recognise himself in us. As we're doing the dance of life with this Lord, as we're taking the steps that move us down the patterns and the, the procedures of our own life, we learn about the steps, but we learn about our companion in the steps. He teaches us about himself. We feel his heart beat. We hear him say to us over and over and over again, I love you. I love you. I've been with you from the moment you were born and I love you. We get to serve him. You know what title you've got? If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you have the greatest title in the universe. It's this, servant of the living God. You are the servant of the living God. Your whole life is now at the disposal of the master. Now, servants are not people who sit and do nothing. Servants are people who follow the orders of their master. In the good old days, if you were a servant in the house of a king, they would take you up to a doorpost and they'd put a hole through your ear. And, uh, and that would tell everybody that uh, this is a servant, this one. He belongs to the master so-and-so. We've got a hole through his ear to prove it. He says to us, you're my servant. I know every single thing about you. I know every idea that's passed your brain. I know every hair on your head, numbered, which is good for some and less good for others. And I know what your heart is doing moment by moment. And he invites us to live in him. Actually live in him. To be invited into the Trinity. To be invited into the atmosphere, the conversations, the power, the authority, the love of God himself. That's where he invites you to live. Now, Mari is absolutely right. Our world is a dreadful place at the moment. And uh, my son keeps telling me, I don't think he's too far away. I don't think he's too far away. It's a rotten place. And I say, well, you may well be right, mate, but uh, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll do it when he feels like it. But we need to understand this. He invites us to live in him. He invites us not to be, uh, not to be damaged by our world, by trying to cope in our world, not to, be, not to be misled by our world into the things that we perhaps think we might do, but to hold his hand and to walk with him. It's a rich and a varied calling that he invites us into. He set us apart to Christ. We have one master, we have one friend, we have one Lord of the universe and he is our master and friend. We have one and only one. Do you know... Have you ever thought about this? You play your life to one audience. Many of us are told, look, we, we play our lives to be successful. And uh, success has to do with uh, how many cars we have. It has to do with the size of our house. It has to, su- has to do with the size of our bank account. It has to do with whether we've got uh, caravans or a holiday house or whatever. There's nothing to do with success. 
unless the Lord has given us those things, that is a complete waste of time because when you go to see him in 50 or 60 years' time for most of you, you'll leave it all behind. Won't be worth a brass razzie. What is worthwhile for you will be that which you take through the curtain, your relationship with Jesus. It's the only thing. He says, I've set you apart, you are set apart into Christ, and it's that relationship that you will take through into eternity. And, and we are called to freedom and peace. We are not called to be backpack Christians. If you heard me use this phrase before, backpack Christians are those who carry on their back a backpack and cart around their sin and their guilt from the past. And they lug it along and they walk with it and they have not heard the truth. If you confess your sin to me, if you repent of your sin, I will take it from you. I will remake you and I will heal you in all righteousness. There is no such thing as a Christian with a backpack. A real Christian is the one who says, I take this to the Lord, all of the stupidity of my past, all of the failure of what I could have been, what I should have done. I take that all to him. I lay at his feet and he says, now you're my girl. Now you're my boy. You're ready to do what I want you to do. You've learnt the truth. Do. Come to me. Lay it at my feet. Let me do what I need to do. No, not suffering. Surely not. Yes. Don't think for a moment that this relationship with Jesus Christ would see you treated any differently to the way he was treated. This relationship with Jesus Christ will cause you, in the reality and the truth of it all, to lay your life on the line for him. He will expect from you everything there is to expect. And in our world where the two kingdoms clash, Satan and his hordes will be very, very keen to see you damaged. Even in the damage, you discover who the master is and what he says. I was reading the other day a story from uh, one of the gulags in, in Russia where one of the chaps there had written a book about his life and experience in the, in the gulag. He said, uh, he said I, I was sent there because of my faith and I had to say that my time in the gulag in Russia, in Siberia, was like a honeymoon with Jesus. The most wicked of circumstances, the most difficult of situations. And he said, my master and I were like that. He loved me through it all. He taught me about himself through it all. And I would gladly do it again if it meant that I could come closer to him. You see, we're talking about a topsy-turvy kingdom here. We're not talking about a kingdom which is like our world. We're talking about a kingdom where God himself rules and where the world says this stuff is, this stuff is success. He says that's rubbish. Success is your relationship with me. Success is the way you go about your life. We're called to suffering and glory. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to be those who are prepared to stand up and say, in our society, especially with the speed at which our society is changing now, that's not right. We don't believe that. That damages people. Don't have that in our society. That damages what you were intended to be. And I'm prepared to stand up and say, please don't do that. Don't do that. Don't treat people that way. Now, it's going to be the most sophisticated sets of arguments around the place. 
But we need to be prepared, the people, to be the people who stand up and say, I will be the salt in our society. I will be the light in our society. I will bring the light of Jesus to shine in the darkness of our world. We are called to be reconciliation. We are called to be those who are the glue to hold society together. We are the ones who teach those who would bang heads to come together in Jesus' name, to be prepared to bow the knee to the one who gives them peace and freedom. That's your role in society. Now, I have to say to you, I am deeply excited at preaching in these services in the evening because I believe this church is preparing the leaders of the future of this church. And if I get a chance to speak into your hearts and into your minds and introduce you to the master whom I've come to love so much, then I'm doing the right thing. He is a wonderful father. He says to us, you are called to be my servants. You carry everything I am. All of the resources are now yours. Do what you're supposed to do. We're called to bring love. We're called to bring compassion. Our hearts are meant to bleed. We are meant to cry with people. We are meant to work with people. And there's the difficult bit. The difficult bit is that many people have thought to themselves, I know that. Now let's go out to dinner. I know that, but I'm not quite at the point where I need to do. And he says to us, you need to be at the point where you're prepared to give who you are. Now, <clears throat> the glory of God's inheritance. Have a look at that and tell me whose inheritance we're talking about. God's inheritance, isn't it? It's not ours. Or is it? Might be a mixture of both. Well, both are intertwined. We are God's inheritance. When he looks at us, he says, that's the package I created and look how blessed I am. When he saw you popping out, he said, that's, that's the best thing I've done for a long time. And now he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, that's my inheritance. I've been able to demonstrate to this world exactly who I am because that person was available to me left behind all the burdens of the past and managed to give me their life to, to achieve the things that are full of wonder. Ours? Well, in the future, ours is to be fellow heirs with Christ. You know, I said this, I think, last week, this Jesus is the God-man who sits at the right hand of the Father. He is not left behind his humanity. He is God and man seated at the right hand of the eternal majesty speaking on our behalf to the father of the universe and he says to you and he says to me I want you to sit next to me that's how much I care for you that's how much I love you that's what I think of you and I want you to be the ones who sit next to me I want you to see me and I want you to see Jesus. I want you to feel the nature of the relationship in the Trinity. The one who will lead you to that place is my Holy Spirit. He and the Father and the Son are intertwined with one another 
and you will be let in to the nature of the relationship between those three and you will be given that relationship for yourself for eternity. Uh, uh, can you grasp this? Are you capable of coming? I, I struggle with it. How in heaven's name because this be my destiny. This is where we. This is where we're headed. To be like him in body and in character. Well, in body's fairly straightforward. We we saw him when he came back after having been resurrected. He had a body that meant that he could pass through walls. He had a body that meant he could appear when he wanted to appear. He had a body that meant that he could walk on water when he wanted to. Uh, he had a body which uh, was able to eat food, yet he didn't need it. And that's what I know from the Bible. And that's your body is going to be like that. You will lose the shed, the weight that you've got hold of. You're not supposed to. You'll be exactly who you're meant to be. He loves you. You'll be like you'll be like him in body, but also in character. Jesus said, "I serve my Father." And the Father said to me, "Your turn, your time to go to Earth. I'm going to ask you to redeem humanity." And to do that, I'm going to ask you to submit to their wickedest plans and die on the cross. Before you do that, I guarantee you will rise again. We're going to be like him in character. To enjoy perfect fellowship with God and each other. To enjoy a relationship which is far beyond anything we could understand now. The most incredible experience. Ours now, well, to see his power and operation now. He can do that tonight in you where he needs to. He can speak to you this evening about who you are and what you're doing. You're going to be meeting around this table in a minute. This table is the table, is the pivotal point for our faith. On what happened in this demonstration on this table is based every single thing we believe. We come to Jesus. To see his power in operation now, to see people raised from the dead, to see lives changed, to see people who are hooked on uh, drugs immediately set free like that when Jesus comes into their lives. To discover freedom. To discover there is no bondage on me. There are no chains on me. There is nothing that can stop me from being what Jesus wants me to be. I am free. I am free in his name. And I am free to enjoy his world. I know fullness of life now. I understand what relationships are about. I come to him and he, he dances with me. He shows me where to go. He lifts my life into the realm of his own. And in that process, he says, you're my person. You're my, you're my friend. I love you. To enjoy sacrificial fellowship now with God and his people. Yes, to be sent to jail in the gulags. Yes, to be sent as a Chinese servant to clean out the toilets in the man's latrine. Yes. Oh, there's one thing I wanted to say. And I, I want you to hear this because this is really quite important. The, um, the problem 
with humanity is that we have a tendency to say that belongs to me. We have a tendency to say that uh, God has given me this, so it belongs to me. Now, we human beings are told in the scriptures that we have a responsibility to look after our world. Mari prayed a bit about it. We're told there that uh, we're, here, we're, we're here as the custodians of our universe. We are told to look after the earth. We are told to, be care- to tend it and be careful. And human beings said, oh, that's rubbish. I plan to rape it. I tend to dig great big holes. I tend to let, 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 the, uh, let the gases from coal go. It's been collecting for the last 10,000 years. Now I just let it go. Won't matter. Well, maybe, maybe I can, oh, look at those lovely girls over there. I'll, I'll grab all of them and I'll put them in a cage and I'll make them, and I'll make money out of them. Would you be in that? Well, unfortunately, many Christians have. What about slavery? They tell me slavery now is bigger than it used to be in the days when slavery was a big thing. Now, what about money? What about money? Are you going to say, well, <coughs> my money's my money. My earth's my earth. I can do what I like. My people are my people. I can do what I like. My money is my money. He says, no, you've misunderstood. When I give you money, when I give you the earth, when I give you other things, they are for you to be the custodian of them. You are the one who has the responsibility to make sure they get used properly. Now, I want to, I want to explain this to you because I think this is really, really important. When you're dealing with your finances, what do you do? Do you manage it yourself and use your finances to prove that you're successful? Or do you say to the Lord, Lord, this money's not actually mine. What am I supposed to do with this? Uh, would you please tell me, I've just had tax return come in, I've got 2000 uh, what am I supposed to do with that? Most people would say, no, 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 that, that money's mine. He says to us, no, that money is mine. What I want you to do is to learn the process of coming into my presence, having a conversation with me about what I want you to do with the money. I want you to talk to me about it. I want you to listen to my voice. I want you to learn about my character. I want you to learn about who I, who I am. And in the process, I will show you what to do with your money. Now, I think this is critical to talk to university students about because you're at exactly the right age to begin to understand the management of money. You need to be prepared to say, Lord, I will give you all the money back and I will sit in obedience to you in the use of the money. The time has come for you to say, what is my commitment to this world? What is my commitment to this church? What do I need to be giving to this church? Now, the good old days, they used to talk about tithing. Some of us still believe that that's a reasonable kind of pattern. But I'm not talking about that. I'm going far, far further than that. I'm going to the point of saying, Lord, this is your money. Would you please tell me what to do? Now, I think our young people need to learn that even though you're at university... The time has come to plan for God to be in charge of your finances, to direct your purposes and to have your money go where it ought to go. Now, I need to tell you, 
If you get on this train, you will discover that God is a father who never forgets his children. I'm not not saying to you, you ought to do this because you'll get more. That's a load of rubbish. What I am saying to you is if you keep, keep faith with Jesus and you don't allow this world to tell you your success is reflected in your finance and he will show you what a relationship with Jesus is really like. I want to ask you please to think seriously. Why do we have ping-pong-a-thons? What about the girls who have been captive for years? Ping-pong, just a little bit, releases some of them. Why do we have missionaries overseas? And and who are they? Where, Where does the money come from? Well, it comes from us, but not us. It comes from the Lord himself. And I want to ask you, I want to plead with you, don't get conned into what our world would say to you is that the money belongs to you. It doesn't. It belongs to Jesus. And when you give it back to him, you'll begin to discover he has a bigger shovel in the back door than you in the front door. It's true. But you will also have discovered that you've had a conversation with the master. You've heard his voice, heard his voice. What Don and I do, and I don't want to embarrass her, she's over there at the moment, is to say, look, um, I heard about so-and-so the other day, they need some money. Can I ask you to go away and ask the Lord what we're supposed to give to him, give to that particular cause, what, how he wants to use his money through us? And uh, when we both think we've heard the Lord, we come back together again and we say, what did you hear? Uh, $500, that's exactly what I heard, $500, $500 goes out. And what we discovered in that process is that a personal relationship with Jesus means we've heard his voice. The thrill of seeing our money used by him or channeled through us into the things that he wants to do is amazingly wonderful. I was part of that. I don't need that money. He will provide. He will give me what I want. Don't say that the resources, the brilliant spiritual resources that he gives belong to you or me. They don't. They're our heritage. But our heritage to be custodians, not owners. What about God's inheritance in us? To demonstrate to the universe and the heavenly forces That includes Satan and his lot. third of the angels became satanic angels. To demonstrate to them who he is and to demonstrate who he is through his church. Now you might say, we're a pretty weak church. We're not very big. We don't do too much. Now I need to say to you, this topsy-turvy kingdom is not talking about big churches and little churches. It's talking about effective churches and ineffective churches. Big churches can be huge and exist for their self-sake alone and be totally ineffective in the things of the kingdom. I've already said to you what I think God is doing in this church. I think he's giving a whole pile of university students, apart from everybody else in the morning, I think he's giving a whole pile of university students an incredible possibility opening to learn who he is and to begin to operate their lives on the basis of his character if you can grab that and take that with you, you will be for the kingdom for the rest of your life. And you will see the majesty of his grace. And at the end of your life, 
you will say, Lord, thank you for the privilege of letting me be a servant of the living God and he will look you in the eye when, he gets through, when you get through the curtain. Well done, good and faithful servant. We danced well together, didn't we? We did good. Doesn't want to do it anymore. There we go. We share in his creative act. It's amazing what God does through people who think they can't do things, but when they're prepared to give into his hands what they do have, he does marvellous things. Absolutely marvellous. You might think you're pretty limited in one space, one space or another, one way or another, but he will say to you, just give it to me. Just give it to me and I will do things with you that you never dreamed. To show the power of his kingdom. Again to you. To show you who he is. And then of course there's the greatness of God's power. Uh, do we need to comment on this? Uh, it's only God's power that can sustain us as in the hope of his call we bring, to, we bring its fruition into our inheritance. Uh, there are people, and I remember when I was a kid, uh, you, would, you would be told the minute you came into faith that uh, you've, you've jumped over the line, you're, you're safe now, it's okay, you're safe now. All you've got to do is to keep going to church. And, but these are some rules you need to follow. Men after men after men shot through from the church because no way could they do it. Because the truth is the only way you can dance, the dance, or if you're Victorian, dance, the dance of the Saviour is if you allow his Holy Spirit to equip you to do it. You can't do it by doing it yourself. You can only do it when his Holy Spirit comes into your life and dances with you. That's the truth. How can we know it? First of all, God has demonstrated it. And uh, in a moment, we're going to be coming to this table. And this, of course, is the place where our God demonstrated in the most profound fashion, lay the foundations for us who go with him into eternity, where what seems to be so weak becomes eternally powerful and where what seemed to be eternally powerful now is shown as rubbishy weakness. Oops, let's go back. I'm not going to play games with me, sorry about that. He says to us, I just pray for you. I just pray that the Lord might, the Lord might feed you with the truth of who I am, that he might show you that he might allow the power of his spirit to change you. And then he gets carried away, completely carried away. And he says this, that the power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand, far away or above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And every title, Paul just gets rambling on into the wonderful things of God. He says, I pray that you might know the hope that he's called you to, but just understand the power that's there. Just understand the majesty of our king. Why? Well, because God placed, under, placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. 
here. This place. These people. In 2022, this might have been written 73 AD or something, but now he's saying to us, as you sit in this place, gathered together, I am here. I am here by my spirit. I will speak to you. I will show you my love. And I will allow you to experience me. I want to come to this table now. And I want to be able to say to you, at this table, we discover the pivotal issue that's brought us to the point where we, where we, where we are now. We're here at this point where Jesus says to us, come, see my hands, see my side, feel the honesty and the truth of my love for you. There is no one who can invite you to this meal. I can't invite you to this meal. The Baptist Union certainly can't invite you to this meal. Catholic Church can't invite you to this meal. Jesus himself invites you to this meal and says, Observe what is power. Observe what is weakness. In great strength there lies no power. In great authority there lies no power. In humility and in servanthood, I give my life for you. And I say again and again, I love you. Now I want to invite you in this feast that we will share together in a moment to spend some time doing business with Jesus what we've been talking about applies to us as a church what happened on this uh, with these symbols applies to us as a church but it starts with what's going on in here he already knows you he knows where you're at he knows what life is about and he says, come to me, talk to me about your sin and your failure. Talk to me about your doubts. Let me clean you up and let me set you on the road that you and I might dance together. Come and talk to me. Tonight, as you come and receive the elements at both of these sides, I want to invite you to take the bread and the grape juice to go back to your seat and in your seat spend time with Jesus he's here he's here for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body this is my body, which is for you. For you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
This is not just about the past. It's not about the present completely. It is that one day we will see him face to face. And the Lord of the universe who gave himself for you and for me will reveal himself to those who love him. Those who are coming to help, would you just come out now and let me pray when you've arrived? Thanks, ladies. We have two on either side. Oh, not ladies. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Sorry, Loggy. 